Hello, Ernest. Hello, Ernest. Ah, yes, How are you? We connect after. Doing good, actually. <clears throat> it was a nice Father's Day weekend, and uh, the kids are in camp today, so I have a little bit of breathing room, which is nice. Mm. How was your weekend? You were busy on Friday, which is uh, why we were delayed. Yeah, it was restful. Yeah, uneventful. All right, well, let's get into it. Week two of the Zigzag Project. Mm-hmm. You want to review the, the elements? Uh, and... Yeah, it is essentially to um, describe a day, right? Five years uh, into the future. Mm. Um, right? Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, uh, that day I'm envisioning uh, chatting with people about our vision for a device that uh, people use to interact. I don't know exactly what it would look like, you know, uh, but it might be like a tablet, tablet. Thing um, that people used to replace um, paper uh, in in paper processes, so that uh, people are uh, uh, they don't have to archive paper and 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 deal with all the. Um, Drawbacks of handling paper, which or paper-based processes, which we have, we uh, are so full of. Like I was dealing with helping my mom clean up her desktop, you know, her laptop desktop, and um, she has so many um, duplicate files or or on a. When you have, but I mean by duplicate files is like uh, copies of the same file. You know, you have the file name, and then you have parentheses one, parentheses two, and three. Right. Yeah. All different versions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we need a process where uh, people that are uh, um, computer adverse, like my mother. Um, we have to be able to manage data, like data um, and the uh, essentials of data. You know, we have to have smart, like that device, smart devices that know what a file is and what it contains and what is its nature, so that they can determine. Oh, yeah, this file is duplicate, so let's just. You know, scratch the uh, duplicate copies. So, uh, yeah, a, a device um, that everybody can uh, can uh, understand. You know, like most people know how to manage a TV, right? You know, you have channels um, and you have volume up and down. So you, you realize, are, of course, that anyone under the age of uh, twenty doesn't know what a channel is on a TV. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway. Well, yeah, they're like, uh, they're like, uh, uh, um, a channel is, what is it, like Instagram channels. For publishing. So, a channel, yeah. literally, from yeah. my channel, a channel is a site you own on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are, uh, what is it? Uh, on some of these social networks, there are some things like, Channels like there's like in, I mean, uh, there's, there's nothing like the concept that you and I grew up of channels, which is there's a mm-hmm. small list of high quality or at least moderate quality programming created by uh, a centralized authority that everyone else has to uh, choose between if they want any entertainment. But that concept is just completely gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, okay, but anyway, I'm losing the thread. Uh, you want to feel better, uh, where you're going with this. Um, yeah, it's just like we have to, uh, when it comes to hardware, and that's what I was uh, thinking uh, mostly. When it comes to hardware, we have to, or I think we should uh, break with uh, what we have now. Things that are so easily hacked, you know. I don't know. The dream of right. uh, something that cannot be hacked is, is still a dream, right? We say, "Oh yeah, the, the software is totally impervious." Sorry, sorry. And then I, we find I, I, out. I'm really, so, yeah, so, Ernest, I am completely losing the thread here. My understanding mm-hmm. of the zigzag project was to imagine mm-hmm. a day, an actual day, how you would spend your day. And it sounds yeah. like I'm hearing you imagining a world of uh, various features. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of losing the narrative thread here, right? So the, we can go either direction, but like the, the reason I think the ZigZag project was trying to say is that don't try to imagine like everything about the world that will change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get there, that's yep. important. But first imagine what kind of life do you personally want to be living five years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So in the morning, I do that, have a chat with people about hardware, what we're working on. And that's uh, like, let's say half the morning. And, that. And, um, and we can do that either either remotely or locally. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, have a, you have a team and you're building something. And you spend a good yes. couple of hours kind of in the daily stand-up getting everyone uh, on the same page, resolving problems, et cetera. Then uh, at lunch with uh, my family or close friends. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, in the afternoon, I go out um, for a hike or, or a walk mm. or just, just just be one with nature, you know, which could be around mm-hmm. my house or around a community uh, um, of buildings. And then I just relax for the rest of the day. So the day is really light, you know, instead of uh, the kind of life that we have now, that work, work, work. Um, no, we, we have... Uh, we work all the time, like I think all the time, especially, you know, 
in times of depression, you know, I might be uh, inactive, but I'm still thinking. So we think all the time, right? People, when mm-hmm. we're with our, with our families, we think about things, we get ideas. So in the morning, half the morning, that's when we interact with others. And, oh, yeah, this is what I thought about yesterday. And, you know, feel ideas and things like that. But uh, our days will not be uh, filled with work, with this, um, especially commuting. You know, there's, uh, to me, there's no, I don't commute anywhere for work mm. because yeah. we have, you know, we lose so many hours, so many hours of our life uh, just sitting on a parking lot highway. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't, um, we can't do that. But there was a call that I was lying there. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah, half of the morning I would spend it having a fruitful chat with uh, my colleagues, friends mm-hmm. and that we work together. And the rest of the day uh, I spent just clearing my head, just being one with nature and my family, uh, whatever shape that takes. And uh, I read a good book or books or you're or just uh, navigate the internet like I do and find uh, ideas and, and, and think about concepts but yeah like essentially working is not really working it's more like cooperating with people to create a future mm-hmm. than just thinking thinking in, in different ways, thinking with nature, thinking with family, thinking with myself. Yeah. That's the kind of day that I thought, that I imagined. Okay, this is very good. So I think one uh, useful framework, I don't know if I talked to this guy, I wish I remember his name, it's a German philosopher who wrote a book or a, a movement called New Work, New Culture. It's something like Chris Bergman or whatever. I heard him on the First Things in the Life podcast. And uh, one thing I love about him, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Is that, uh, one, he came up with this vision for what society should be. And he, he said, you know, we use the word work uh, for actually three very different kinds of things. And one of them is traditional remunerative work, things we do for other people that we wouldn't really do on our own, but we do it because it's part of the medium of exchange. I, I do this thing uh, because then I get money that I can use to buy things, the fruits of other people. Okay, so you know, it's a thing. They say that we are impoverished if we think that's the only kind of work that matters. Uh, the second kind of work is let's call it domestic work. Uh, things that, you know, like cooking, cooking food, um, Cleaning the house, things like that. These are things we could do ourselves, or we could pay someone else to do. And when you think of it as work, or just chores, or family life, is largely a matter of mindset and kind of choices you can make. And he said, you know, these things are usually best done collaboratively in a community rather than either something that you're paid to do or that you pay other people to do. So finding things, uh, you being part of a community where you can take turns doing these things rather than 
uh, thing in Hesperius Zero's uh, paid work. And the third kind is artistic work, things that you do uh, because we're passionate about it, because it feeds your soul. And uh, one of the points he made, I'm not sure if he made it or someone else did, is that in traditional cultures, the stuff that we consider sort of work, like the things you do on behalf of the community in order to provide for them yourselves, is something like, unlike what you were saying, like two to four, you know, two to, you know, like two to four hours a day is the work you're doing kind of the, the thing that you do for community for uh, a communal exchange and the rest of it is sort of you know hanging out with your family or your tribe or, or whatever uh, or nature and you know it, it is um, it, it, it's sort of something a lot of people have aspired for right the, the four-hour work week of Tim Ferriss so I'm pretty sure works more than four hours um, but the uh, there is only a case we made that the natural human thing is to be, um, you know, just sort of working a few hours of your daily needs, and every time is really focused on relationships and you know, self, self care, and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, the the interesting quirk is that civilization, as we know it, depends on doing something unnatural. Right, the idea it's that unnatural. You know, it's, it's unnatural. It literally, it is not nature. Right, we do not. Uh, very few of us are capable of living with nature alone. Right, to have to uh, defend ourselves from predators, to uh, grow and collect our own food, to uh, defend the and you know the and the, the other thing is that. Uh, I think the anthropological evidence is now in that Rousseau's noble savage, uh, where you imagine that people just lived in this idyllic world where they had no conflict. That doesn't seem to be the case. The best data I've seen is that um, people who live in traditional societies, around 30, you know, 30 to 50 percent of them died a violent death. Mm -hmm. uh, someone once said, you know, nature is beautiful from far away, but ugly up close. Right. If you look at any, you know, wild tribe of chimpanzees or gazelles or lions, uh, you know, you know, life is fragile, right? And if you get beyond a certain threshold, you die fairly quickly. And you know, if you're not fiercer or faster or stronger than your neighbor, uh, you become prey. And so, civilization is nice in that we don't all have to take responsibility for our self-defense and for making sure we don't starve. But the price we pay is a very high one in that we sort of have to contort ourselves into these unnatural shapes to, um, you know, to pay for the benefits of society with all the inequities and uh, abuses of power and so forth. And so it's a, it's a weird Faustian bargain that we have made with ourselves or maybe with our darker natures, I don't know which. So anyway. The, I know that part of your long-term dream is to have people living in autonomous communities. Yes, so and and I started. Yes, and I started um, a few weeks. I I started taking a course on um, hydroponics. Uh, you know, yeah, growing growing vegetables, and and to me that's a very relaxing time where you um, you know clean your towers and. Make sure that the water is is 
healthy and, and, and all that. And it's, it's a combination of growing your own food and maybe a little bit of art in there and also community. So it kind of encompasses uh, uh, several things. And, and now that I think about it, it's, uh, uh, it would be a great to have like, I don't know, spend half the afternoon or even the whole afternoon or, you know, a considerable amount of time doing that, working, growing your food yeah. and, and taking yeah. care of it. Mm. Yeah, and there's this wonderful picture, I mean, Bergman talks about this too. He's a big fan uh, when he wrote this stuff about 3D printing in the same way. It's like, mm-hmm. why do we need to have these big centralized facilities and centralized means of production and all that? Wouldn't it be great if we just lived, uh, you know, where we had our own little hydroponic gardens and our urban farms and our 3D printers and everything we made could be local, right? And yes. we could just, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, and the sort of neo-village concept, because we live in small Dunbar-level communities of 100 or so people, and we're self-sufficient, and maybe there's a few exotic trade goods that we uh, interact with in other villages for because, you know, they're nice to have. But we make sure that the core infrastructure we need to survive, uh, you know, food, uh, clothing, shelter, uh, information, et cetera, is a common. Right, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. a very attractive picture. Uh, the challenge has always been: um, is it stable against bad actors? Right, mm-hmm. because the problem is, is with all the, like, what if one village is running short, you know, and they, uh, you know, they mismanaged it or they had a sort of bad luck? Should they rely on the neighbors? Well, what if the neighbors don't want to help them and they go on the warpath to try and get what they think is theirs? Right, is that the you know, like I said, you know, the you know, capitalism is the worst way of ruling the world, except for all the others we've tried so far, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's, you know, there's lots of horrific inequities and destruction and degradation that occurs in capitalism, but, you know, the world has basically not had a major great power conflict since 1945. I lost you there. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, is that the world has not had a major power conflict, uh, you know, directly since 1945, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. Um, you know, we've had some horrific local conflict, but compared to just the insane scale of militarization in 1945 or 1915, the world is. Um, Compared to that, a peaceful place. And, you know, it, it, it's full of injustice and inequity and all the horrible things, and that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, you know, I, I was just reading through this history podcast about World War II. It's like, you know, just the, the uh, casual brutality and mega statistics of death and destruction. It's like, uh, you know, it makes me appreciate uh, the Chinese proverb, which is in America that I always found offensive, but I, I kind of can see where they're coming from. It's better a thousand years of tyranny than a single day of anarchy. You know, it's, 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 yeah, because it's, it's sort of like it's better to be in sort of a constant low-level fear of an oppressive government than to be in stark terror where you have no idea who's going to attack you. 
you know, because the problem is, is when humans have no government, they don't tend to peacefully settle into small localized clubs. They tend to uh, devolve into roving bands of warriors. And even those who won't want that, they usually end up having to, uh, you know, try to support some sort of warlord just to protect themselves. And that seems to be where we got emperors from. And so, anyway, uh, that was just a, but it's all that to say, it's not that this is impossible, but like, I think this is a, it, it, it can give you some context to think about, okay, one, uh, I encourage you to read Frederick Bergman and some of these other thinkers to kind of get some more language and some ideas of what people have tried. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the phrase, I guess, is probably semi-autonomous community. Mm -hmm. Right, and and this is the, the the semi is the difficult part is that you want them to be self-sufficient to a large extent, but you also don't want them to become sort of uh, insular and um, um, I guess insular is probably a good word. Right, where they're so closed off to the needs of others, that they end up in these little bubbles, which is can also become very oppressive. There needs to be some sort of uh, semi. Needs to be some sort of uh, some sort of interaction between them that keeps them alive and and not stagnant and builds that shared sense of context. Anyway, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, at the beginning you talk. We'll talk about so there's there's a lifestyle piece. I think that's beautiful. But I think the interesting thing is this sort of um, let's call it professional work, even if it's not necessarily paid directly, uh, where there's this team of people where you're building something, right? And you mentioned a couple of things about this vision of approachable hardware and getting rid of paper and uh, things like that. But then the thing that surprised me was that you framed that primarily as a hardware problem. Yes, because uh, that's where we had to start. Well, no, we had to start with software simulating things, is my belief, right? But then once we figure out, yeah. Is it how we want things to uh, be software-wise? Okay, now let's build the hardware that supports that. Um, so right. That's, so, that's what. Yeah, but the, yeah. So I think the really interesting thing, and maybe this will come up in a later one, is that, and we've talked about this before, is that the the world you're envisioning involves more than just hardware, right? There's a sense mm -hmm. of a software layer. There's a hardware layer. There's a data layer for how data is understood and managed and shared and connected. And there is a policy layer over how all these things are governed and updated. And I think it's an interesting question it is that so there's, well, let's go with that as a um, four or five layers hardware, software, services, data, and policy. And maybe they overlap a little bit, but I think it's worth calling out all five of them. Because I think to get the world you want to have, you need all five of those things, right? Work together. They have a sustainable ecosystem. And uh, and I agree, there is definitely a need. We've talked about some of my projects in the past that have tried to tackle pieces of this. The question I keep coming back to is, what is the point of leverage that helps us unlock that future. And um, 
I honestly don't know, right? It, it, the, um, I guess the, the theory of disruption says you probably need a vertically integrated experience to give people a, um, a encounter with this new way of being in the world, right? Something that incorporates the hardware, the software, the services, the data, and the policy. And the good news is that a lot of the components are lying around, right? You don't have to build everything from scratch, but like Apple, you have to be the vertical integrator and say, I'm trying to create an experience and these are all the pieces I need to deliver that experience. And these are the areas I need to innovate in. And these are the areas that I can uh, commodify. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating question. I hope someday in the next five to 20 years, uh, you'll find an answer to that. And, and actually, uh, actually, I'm thinking even, uh, we have to think more in terms of hundreds and thousands of years. We, we can't just be, uh, just thinking about okay, I'm gonna eat this today, and then I'm gonna then eat uh, or for breakfast, and then uh, for lunch. And it's we. I think as humanity is living in a very short time uh, spans. Okay, tomorrow, next month, next year, like you said, uh, next 20 years, next generations. We have to think in terms of uh, bigger. If you wanna conquer uh, or progress of the planet, and, and the entire solar system. We can't just be thinking in terms of, oh, what, what are we going to do in the next 50 years? No, we have to think about what are we going to do in the next thousands of thousand years. So we're going right. to be but, in, right? But, so, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, but here's the challenge I think we'll be left with at the end of season two is, artistically, you need to imagine the world you want to have a hundred or a thousand or a million years from now. Like, that is really exactly. important to have an artistic vision of the kind of human beings you want us to be and the way that we are interacting with each other and the universe, okay? So you need to like nail down that artistic vision. Uh, the challenge though, is if you want to bring that world into reality, and I think this is the thing that's important about the ZigZag project, you need to be thinking in five years about your mm -hmm. professional vision. Like what is the things that you want to be doing? And I think that is the, um, like for this season, I want to really push you to focus in on the zigzag project and thinking, okay, so five years from now, you would like to be part of a team that has a clear vision of this, um, what were you calling it before? It was like the humanity stack or... Um, yeah, humankind. Humankind. Okay, humankind is this vision of humanity that you want to create. And then... Um, let's just call it the humankind stack, right? There is a technical, uh, potentially financial piece of this, uh, with, or at least, you know, not financial, but economic, but there's a self-sustaining technological engine that powers this, mm -hmm. right? And that you are yeah. working with a team to build a piece of it. And so that's actually, so, so, so good. Let's call this the humankind stack, the HKS. And you need, you know, I think you've sketched out in different places, I right, gentlemen, look to you write more about your vision of what humanity would be like. And then, so the goal of it would be in five years 
this is not a real thing that A, you have a team that's working on it, and B, you have the resources that you can live a sane, healthy lifestyle that models humankind while you are building out the rest of the humankind stack. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Have you done the voice memo yet? Perfect. Hmm? Have you done the voice memo yet? Oh, yes. Uh, oh, is there a voice memo for the second so part? Yeah. I didn't hear in the episode. Okay. Oh, you, you, you didn't see the, 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 the... Sorry, you still there? I, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, usually at the end uh, of the episode... Oh, uh, I have to... Uh, oh, I get it. I get it. I have to do it. No, I will. I will, and I will um, send it to you too. Gonna do it. All right. Yeah, I, I just have but, written it. So okay. Okay, that's cool. All right, this was good. This was very encouraging. I think this is getting uh, a lot clearer. And we have a name, the Human Time Stack, which gives us a uh, uh, bucket to start uh, pouring things into. Yes. And I, and I, I love the picture that that, that human human you know human time is the life you want to lead, lead. And it's, it's as important to figure out how to get you yourself, or you may have to trade off at some point. But on the one hand, you want mm-hmm. to get yourself living the right kind of life, uh, as well as building the tools that enable other people to do it. And that's, I think, a really powerful vision. And hopefully we'll get some clarity about how to get there before the end of this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's very All helpful. Right. All right, good time. I'll uh, see you this Friday. Okay, see you Friday. All right, God bless. Bye, Bye Ernest. Bye, Ernest. Bye, Ernest.